Lugazina Zyberzom. Now the chosen time has come. Come forth now into this world. Show me the earth ring. Ah, she's right here. Seriously? I take fortunes. Really? Women like that stuff? Shit, can my dad have been wrong? What do you have to say for yourself, Liz? Ugh, I married you, idiot. Why would you think I'm still a virgin? Also, what is all of this? Well, it's time for me to get ahead in the podcasting world, so here you are as a sacrifice to my future success. <laughs> have you considered effort? No, Liz, I never considered trying over the last five years. That's why I'm at this point. Okay, Demon, maybe she's not a virgin, but she's pan, so she likes girls. That's hot, right? Does that give me anything? Yeah, it's hot, but the boss is breathing down my neck. I got a quota to meet here. You clearly haven't got that. Seriously, man, she's married. What were you expecting? Best I can do is possess her and tag you in her Facebook post for a week. Look, man, virgins are the big currency here. Hey, Liz, is there any stuff you haven't done? I am not going to be revealing personal information to increase my sacrificial value. Hey, Demon, what would you give me for him? What? What are you asking for? Besides your freedom. Just that. I'm cheap. So what do I get? If you possess him, you get a horror movie podcast. Ooh, can we cover Jennifer's body? I love that film. Uh, can we talk about this? We have. The show and you are going to be under new management. Graveyard shift under new management. Nah, it doesn't. It's me. It's still me. So, welcome to the Graveyard Shift, the weekly horror podcast where we take listener and guest suggested movies and break them down into the good, the bad, and anything else we find fun and or relevant. My name is Mike, and I never worked the Graveyard Shift alone. Please say hello to the woman who probably knows better than to get into a band's van, Liz. Oh well, hi there. How y'all doing? <laughs> Oh, wow, you turned into, like, Bobby's mom. Well, we're, we're, we're in the theme of Minnesota, so, like, why not just embrace that? <laughs> oh, man, I'm surprised that we didn't get to see a Bears game in the in this movie. Oh, no. Oh, no, sweetie, it would have been a Vikings game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you are not invited to my next potluck, I'll tell you that much. I'll make you an extra hot dish to bring home to your mom, but... I'm sorry, we're, we're just, uh, this isn't going to work. Bears games are from Chicago. <laughs> we're in Minnesota. Oh, I only have the SNL skit to go on, and it didn't sound like a Chicago accent when they said, like, the Bears. The Bears. Oh, I can do a real Chicago accent if you want, but we're not going to do that because we're in Minnesota, <laughs> and I'm your mom, and I'm going to make a salad with whipped cream and candy. <laughs> Okay. Oh, God. Today's episode is She's a Man Eater. Because I watched Blew My Mind, but halfway through decided it was not a horror movie. So instead, we watched Jennifer's Body. So this is a one and a half review. Because I spent an hour watching a movie about a bisexual girl becoming a mermaid that was labeled as a horror by several websites and the streaming service I found it on. I was deeply misled. At, at best, it's a dark fantasy. 
But plus Euro art house films bug me with their callous approach to sex. Because uh, here's my mini review of it. For Blew My Mind. The good. I learned that German slang for sex is called bouncing. So they're just like, oh yeah, did, did you bounce with him last night? Yeah. And that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I see where it came from. It's kind of neat. And then when the Patreon allows for a global tour of the graveyard shift, I can get shot down using the most up-to-date slang in Germany. Oh, there you go. Like, I guess it's, it's more, it makes more sense than saying snogging in English or in England. <laughs> like, I don't know where the hell that comes from, but bouncing, sure. I know, like, just like that hard G in the middle of it, it, it just makes it... Snogging. It just makes it sound like there's, like, some... Like, like you sound like pigs in the middle of it. Like, <laughs> like you're rooting around for truffles. <laughs> so... Now, with bouncing, when you're doing bouncing, yeah. you'll have to have the Bavarian You got the bounce Ooh. with the up and the down and the up and the down and the jiggle. Mm. <laughs> we are, go we are going then. to hump you up. <laughs> you watched too much SNL, man. <laughs> I watched too much in the 90s. I, I kind of fell off afterwards, but... <laughs> oh, God. I am old. And I do not apologize. <laughs> but you know who should apologize for being old? The bad section in this movie, because it has a 35-year-old taking a 14-year-old, or a 15-year-old, to a hotel. Yikes. And I ended up, because of that, I ended up looking the age of consent, and here's a real-life bad, he's not breaking the law. Because Ooh. a person who is over 21 may engage in sexual activity with someone who is 14 or older... As long as their capacity for sexual self-determination is not exploited. And that was established in 1872. So we had like the first Reich to deal with that. Wow. And I thought America had outdated laws. It turns out it actually varied after it was split. After Germany was split in World War II. But after the reunification, they decided to go back to the original charter. So it went back to 14. I guess they determined if children were, you know, awake and not compromised that, you know, they can figure things out for themselves. I'm not cool with that, of course. I mean, I would say 17 or 18 or 16 at the friggin' minimum, but... I mean, this even me at 19, that was questionable, yeah. you know, because I was a freaking idiot till I was about 26. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was written when children were expected to be, like, on their fourth kid before they're 20. Which is always yeah. stupid, because, you know, making teenagers have kids is, like, a health risk. That's just the way it went then. I mean, people were just like, listen, you'll probably die in childbirth, so you might as well get on with it sooner than later, so we can move on to... But your bodies are young, and most of your children are going to be eaten or die from the plague anyway, so you might as well just keep having children. You'll bounce back. Don't worry. <laughs> and you'll just bounce and bounce and bounce until in the young... <laughs> so, yeah, this uh, this movie, I found it to be, like, dull Euro arthouse fodder. So, we'll move on to The Replacement, which I enjoyed significantly more, Jennifer's Body. Right. And that was directed by Karen Kusama, written by Diablo Cody, produced by Daniel Dubecki, Mason Novick, and Jason Reitman. With cinematography by M. David Mullen, edited by Plummy Tucker. 
Oh my god, is this like a follow-up to Lemony Snicket? Plummy Tucker sounds like a like a kinky sex thing. A, a British kinky sex thing. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I went up with Stara by the dogs and she gave me a Plummy Tucker. Oh, boy. That's Australian. So, you know, that's, on, that's an Australian sex Oh, thing. yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. Blimey, how'd you survive that? Your your cockney's just turning Australian. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm just That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> oh you governor, that's not a knife. There you go. Yeah, now you got it. <laughs> So this had music by Steve Barton and Theodore Shapiro. Uh produced by Fox Atomic and Dune Entertainment, distributed by 20th Century Fox, released September 8, 2009. This had a runtime of 102 minutes with a budget of 16 million and a box office of 31 million. So, a nice double profit. Yeah, easy. And uh, I did manage to get a little bit of trivia. Uh, Amanda Seyfried uh, said it was a relief to play the nerdy character opposite Fox, saying that being a lead like Megan, you have the weird pressure of feeling like you have to look great for the movie. And in this movie, I didn't have to worry about any of that shit. I don't want to play the one that everyone's supposed to want to have sex with. And to that I say, you fucking failed because you were just as stunning and I was in love with her. <laughs> yeah, Needy was so cute. And uh, this starred Adam Brody as Nikolai Wolf, uh, Johnny Simmons as Chip Dove, J.K. Simmons, no relation, as Mr. Robluski. Amy Sedaris as Tony Les Tony Lesnicki. Seeing Amy Sedaris in this movie was fucking outrageous. I know, yeah. Kyle Gall just a small little part too. It was nice. Yeah. Kyle Gallner as Colin Gray. Uh Cynthia Stevenson, again, I mean another fucking hilarious mom character, Cynthia Stevenson, as Mrs. Dove. Chris Pratt as Officer Roman Duda. <clears throat> Duda, Duda. Carrie Genzel as Mrs. Check, Juan Reidinger as Dirk, Juno Rudell as Officer Warzak, Valerie Tian as Chastity, Amon Joal as Ahmet, Josh Emerson as Jonas Kozel, Bill Fagerbaki as Jonas's dad. Fuck, I loved him in this. And Lance Henriksen as the driver near the end of the film. This has a Rotten Tomato score of 45%, which we are going to have a, a disagreement with. So, looking at the reviews, uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 45% based on 210 reviews, and the website's critical consensus states that it occasionally delivers clever dialogue, but the horror comic premise fails to be either funny or scary enough to satisfy. That's what they say. And Roger Ebert enjoyed the film, giving, dubbing it a Twilight for Boys. I, I mean, you want to agree with his praise, but the reason... Is... Miss the point there. He says, as a movie about a flesh-eating cheerleader, it's better than it has to be. So again, it's one of those things where, like, I want to agree with you, but it's, it's kind of, I didn't think there'd be a wrong reason to disagree with you, but... Yeah. And he says that within, uh, within Cody, there is the soul of an artist, and her screenplay brings to this material a certain edge, a gleeful relish that's uncompromising. This is not your assembly line teen horror film. Thriller. And additionally, he uh, he complimented Fox as coming through in her portrayal and playing the role straight. And he gave it three out of four stars. The irony. Yeah, because yeah, he's not usually that keen <laughs> with uh, 
with, with great horror films. See, I was waiting for like the next thing out of his mouth after like talking about Diablo Cody's, Cody's writing to be like, if only she were a man. I'm surprised you used just like, wow, she almost writes as good as a man. Right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so Rick Green of the uh, Globe and Mail gave the film three out of four stars. Rick Travers said that it is hot, hot, hot. And director Karen Kusama is torn between duty to female empowerment and slasher convention. I That doesn't sound mm. like a compliment. But yeah. I get it. And uh, he I credited Fox's portrayal as showing a comic flair that Transformers never investigated. Yeah, I mean, who knows if they tried to make her funny if she would have stuck around for more than a movie. Yeah, but like, guys don't want a funny girl; they want a hot girl. She she she's playing the the cool girl the cool girl trope. So. Yeah, it's a shame that like, I mean, Superbad did good with cute and cool and funny. With with oh, fucking Emma sure, Stone, but Emma Stone's there's she's in she's incomparable. Like you you can't touch that. Yeah, basically <laughs> like the reincarnation of Lucille Ball. Yeah, or uh, I was thinking more Gilda Radner, mm. but uh, they said uh, the last uh, Tom Charity of CNN. Don't remember when they reviewed movies. Uh, the last time a horror <laughs> flick tried for a distinctly female point of view, the result was Twilight. Oh God, because uh, yeah, this was around at the time. Are you fucking kidding Would, me? Did he not watch Carrie? I, I guess they said, like, uh, well, he said the last time, not the first time. Oh. So this was, like, a recent. And they said it was more of a wan gothic romance than a chiller. And says Fox makes a convincing vixen, callously picking up victims wherever her lust, whenever her luster begins to fade. It's not hard to imagine she can have anyone who takes her fancy. And Charity credited the dialogue as bitingly smart, funny teen speak, along with sharp pop culture references. In 2018, Constance Grady reported in Vox that a new critical consensus was forming that appreciated the film as a forgotten feminist classic. She stated after the Me Too movement highlighted routine sexual harassment and misconduct in the media, the film's story of a group of powerful men sacrificing a girl's body on the altar of their own professional advancement became uncomfortably familiar. And this, according to Grady, allowed viewers to see the film rather than a sex fantasy as a revenge fantasy as Jennifer uses her abused body against her attackers. Well, if she went after the band, that would have made sense. She just kind of like, eh, bygones be bygones. It was needy that ended up avenging her against the band. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. And it says, according to the screenwriter Diablo Cody, the film was marketed all wrong, and she had to she had argued with executives who wanted to market this to boys who like Megan Fox, because that's who's going to see it. And I was like, no, this is a movie for girls too. That audience they didn't even attempt to reach. And yeah, when you see like the poster, it's always like Megan Fox on the teacher's desk, and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like, hey, you want to see Megan Fox be sexy? That's what I got from the uh, from the poster. The movie reeks of studio interference, unfortunately, and that's where a lot of my my qualms with the film start to start to come in. Yeah, and a little bit of extra trivia. So, in order to prepare her role as a living dead teenager, Megan Fox dropped to a near frail ninety seven pounds and stayed out of the sun to keep herself pale. And in balancing balancing out the film's horror with humor, she said she relied heavily on uh, Cody's script and Karen Kosama's direction to pull it off, stating, uh, 
I have a very specific sense of humor. Things that I like aren't funny. Things that I think are funny aren't going to fly in middle America. It's going to eliminate some of the audience, so you need someone there to tell you you can't do that. And isn't she dating Machine Gun Kelly now? I think they're engaged and or married. But yes. Yeah, so when she says she has a specific sense of humor, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, one of her influences from the 1980s horror genre was the film The Lost Boys. She said Mm. that uh, she wanted to honor that. And at the same time, she had never seen this particular uh, subgenre done with girls. And she tried to do a little bit of both. I think they're talking about Cody at that point. Uh, Despite this, she said she noticed that the last survivor standing in the typical horror film is a woman. And that because of this, she feels horror has always been kind of a feminist angle to it in a weird way. And at the same time, it's unrepentantly exploitative. So Jennifer's Mm. body was made to play on both of those aspects. And Cody also said she wanted the film to speak to female empowerment and explore the complex relationships between best friends. She said, uh, Kusama and I are both outspoken feminists. We wanted to subvert the classic horror model of women being terrorized. I wanted to write roles that service women. I wanted to tell stories from a female perspective. I want to create good parts for actresses where they're not just accessories to men. And addressing the male-dominated horror genre, she said a key reason for writing the film was to bring to the screen a new way of expressing the intensity of female bonds and that the adolescent female friendships she experienced were unparalleled in their intensity. And she wanted to show the almost horrific aspect of such devotion and its relation to parasitism. Parasitism. Uh, Though the film is part comedy, Cody initially intended it to be a very dark, brooding, traditional slasher film. Close to a third of the way into the process, she felt that she was incapable of doing so because the humor just kept sneaking in. She stated, I have a macabre sense of humor. A lot of the things in the movie that are horrifying are just funny to me. Feeling that comedy films and horror films are kind of similar, due to films being where you can uh, significantly, significantly, significantly gauge audience intense reactions from the audience. Cody stated they're laughing, they're screaming, it's not passive, so I think horror and comedy are related in a similar kind of way. I get that. And uh, there were a few goofs. When Nicola is about to stab Jennifer, there's a distance shot where he says, we have to make a really good impression on him. Uh, Jennifer isn't crying and her mouth is closed. Yeah. Uh, when Jennifer is lighting her tongue with the lighter... Her hair is in front of her ear in distant shots and then behind her ear in the close-up. See, continuity errors, I, I, I'm i very forgiving of if it's, um, I don't know. Continuity errors, errors don't bother me. It's more of like, it's something like not making sense in a shot at all. Like that's detracting from the story. That's where I know I, someone thought it was good enough to put in the IMDb section though. I guess, I guess. Yeah, some of these are nitpicky. Like, the first time Needy and Chip walk away from her locker, the shoulder strap of Chick's backpack jumps from one shoulder to the uh, to, to two, then to one, then to two. Yeah. And then another one, just after the fire in Needy's kitchen, Jennifer appears in profile with a ghastly, toothy smile. And the next full face shot, her mouth is closed and the ghastly smile appears slowly. In the Melody Lane bar, Jennifer returns with a tray of the two 9-11 drinks. She says Tower 1 isn't full enough. The camera cuts away, and when it cuts back, Tower 1 is more full. The camera cuts away again, and when cutting back, Tower 1 is back to its previous lower level. Uh, when Jen- <laughs> Again, they called the drinks 9-11. I can't believe that wasn't mentioned in my goods or bads. 
<laughs> it's one of those things like you, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> when Jennifer is in the forest with Jonas, as she unzips her jacket, it can be clearly seen she has no belly button, even though it is shown in other uh, scenes. And after Melody Lane catches on fire, needing Jennifer outside kneeling in the parking lot, it's obvious there are no lenses in Needy's glasses, as there's no reflection of the fire. That one's a good one. That yeah, that's that's something that's uh, yeah. before Jennifer is stabbed. The right strap of Needy's dress is off her shoulder and damaged, while the left is intact and in place. When we see Needy's reaction, the straps are off both her shoulders. When Jennifer removes the pole and walks past Needy, the strap is back in place. Uh, when Chip is almost dead and out of the swimming pool, Needy yells to Jennifer. Her face is very dirty, but in the next shot, her face is almost clean. Yeah, they keep forgetting to to make these women ugly in intense <laughs> situations where they're just like, but she's hot. We got to show her being hot. Yeah, but she's rolling around <laughs> in the fucking dirt. Her face should be muddy. Like she can be hot and muddy at the same time. But she's beautiful. We got to keep her beautiful. And uh, yeah, this is my biggest uh, goof. Jennifer is killed with a utility knife. They have snap off blades. They would not be able to penetrate the rib cage. Like at best, mm. they would snap as soon as they hit the bone. And that's it for the goofs. Now we can get on with the goods. I will say there was one goof um, that is actually something that's kind of important, but it might also demonstrate how dumb the bandit, like the band low shoulder. Nikolai comments that it's a waxing moon, but the shot of the moon um, is a waning moon. (laughs) So that is that that. Is a goof, <laughs> or, it, or it's or it's a good attesting to the stupidity of the band. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Take your pick. Yeah, it turns out the music was actually done by a group called Low Shoulder. So that, that's like an actual band. Well, uh, the 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 singing is done by a band like Adam Brody. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned before that uh, he was like he did like try to take like some lessons to try to do the, some singing, but it was just like too middling like they wanted something Mm. that sounded a bit more powerful so uh like the song was written by like two guys of an actual band and like you try looking up low shoulder like they called themselves low shoulder while they were recording tracks for the uh for this song for this movie and like for a couple of years afterwards but they recall something else before and they recall something else after it's Mm. it's 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 something that song from the movie was stuck in my head for like three days after watching this it was so late 2000s oh god and and i still listen to like my pop punk music to this day because i was kind of an emo kid in the 2000s so it was like totally my jazz very dashboard confessional (laughs) (laughs) for the synopsis uh we have uh needy lesnicki and jennifer check they are best friends needy is a reserved bookworm and jennifer is uh the sexy popular teenager um they're best friends but it seems that they don't really have a lot in common um there's uh, a concert that jennifer wants to go to so they go to a bar and turns out that after the bar just catches on fire um this band decides to kidnap jennifer and sacrifice her to uh gain success um her not being a virgin for the sacrifice means that she turns into a succubus. Um, and then she then 
starts eating boys um, all over the all over town. Um, so it's up to uh, Needy to either save Jennifer or save her boyfriend. Spoiler: She does neither. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sadly, she tries. I mean, God bless her. She tries. <laughs> if there's anyone that knows about trying and failing, it's me with this podcast. So, for our first good, apparently Toastums give enough energy after all. Because it's the only thing that Needy eats in the asylum, but apparently it's enough to give her strength to kick a nurse across a fucking hall. Man, that was awesome. <laughs> well, well, no, because... Um, I know why, but it's, it's not, it's revealed, it's at not the revealed at the time, so... Oh, so I, I just I just I write these things down as they're happening. Got it. Sorry, I, I interrupted your process. <laughs> sorry. Or process, sorry. Yeah. Process. <laughs> process. So yeah, apparently toastums are high in uh high in iron. <laughs> so what's your first good? Uh it's a fun time capsule of 2000 cinema, um, as far as the music, the costuming. Um, and the cast, um, I just, I thought it was just kind of fun to watch that and be like, this is very much a relic of its time. Yeah. My next, I, uh, my next good was JK Simmons. Hell yes. <laughs> he's not in this much, but when he is, he's, his deadpan delivery of lines, like put aside teenage ideas, like who's a cool dude and who's a hoe. <laughs> I just love this fucking BG Jameson look he's got going on. Yeah. And term. he just happens to have a hook for a hand. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> Everything about him is just fucking outrageous. So what's your next good? Um, The casting actually. So, I mean, it was mentioned about Amanda Seyfried um, playing a different kind of role um, and not being like you know, Karen in Mean Girls where she's like the hot, dumb one. Or, or the, uh, the sexy like a, receptionist from Ugly Betty. Yeah, just having like that sexy type of role and just having a different type of character who's a little bit more shy and reserved. Um, but I, I really enjoyed her in this role. She was funny. Um, and for Megan Fox in this role, too. Um, she, she kind of has recently, I then like I say recently before she started dating Machine Gun Kelly, where she was kind of having this redemption where she was coming out about how, um, how badly she was treated in Hollywood during this time and how she was just kind of given these very surface level roles just because of her looks, um, cough, Michael Bay cough, <laughs> but, um, she she definitely had a little bit more agency in this type of role, kind of, kind of. Um, I say that because she was still cast because she's attractive. Um, so at the end of the day, it's kind of like, eh, that's why I, I have really mixed feelings about this movie. It's very much a product of its time. Um, and I like some other casting treats. Um, have it chip. Um, the boyfriend. I just keep seeing him from from Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> like, <laughs> as a young Neil. Um, and then, yeah, JK Simmons, it's just very much kind of a, a treat to see the, the cast and Adam Brody is Nikolai. who was like really fun and horrible. And I loved it. So. Oh yeah. My next good is Bill Fagerbach. He has the morning father. 
Like, mm. He's just saying lines which are just like outright stupid. <laughs> I forget exactly what they were, but he's like, oh, my son. I, I love my son that I loved so much. <laughs> like, is, is, are, is, he, is he just fucking around with the outtakes and they just left that in? And I, like, I only remember him from two things, Coach and The Stand. So when I mm. saw him show up, I was just like, M-O-O-N, that spell's dead. I'm not familiar with this reference. I'm sorry. He spells that, it. He spells everything. He's a simpleton in the stand that spells everything with M O O N. Sorry. I didn't even <laughs> see the movie. I just channel surfing and I saw him do them just like, oh, that's the guy from Coach. <laughs> so, uh, what's your next good? My next and unfortunately final good is um, Diablo Cody's uh, writing and. Not necessarily the writing of the story, but the uh, the language that she gives the, the characters. And this is something that that's demonstrated in Juno. She has a very distinctive way of writing dialogue, which is fun and more. Um, it's it it stands in stark contrast to dialogue written by George Lucas. Let's put it that way. Um, it it is very much of its time, but still sounds natural and like how kids talk type of thing um very much like lingo heavy and i don't know more casual which i like and it's fun it's enjoyable um to to listen to the characters speak her dialogue oh yeah and uh i will just blast through my uh my goods uh the sexual chemistry and tension between needy and jen mm. like there's like a jealousy between like a one-sided jealousy because I mean Jennifer's not jealous of anybody. Mm. But you know, Needy's kinda like you can see where that she's always like living in her shadow, yet also obsessed with her. And then when Jen just like starts returning her affections briefly, she kinda gives in for a moment, but then she's just like, No, wait a second, you're still murdering people. I gotta stop thinking with my clit. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Needy, get your head back in the game. There was actually an article that was written about this movie, and um, there's a, um, a New York City-based video artist um, named Annie Rose who points out that um, Needy's name, her name isn't actually Needy, her actual name is Anita, yeah. um, but Needy Lesnicki is a, a queer epithet for Needy Lesbian. <laughs> needy Lesney. Needy Les, Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Uh, a, a real shining light as a good was the little sister Camille. As uh, she calls her, she's a savage. She, call, she calls her brother <laughs> penis cheese. And, and then later on, and then like Cynthia Peterson, in like the one line of dialogue, she gets to fucking shine. When she's just, like, I just love how she has like that monotone delivery of hers. Because it just fucking, she has like the most outrageous dialogue. Because as she's at the door, like, hey, no, no, she went to the party with Chip. Okay. Mm. And then she turns around and sees her kid with her legs open. And she's like, Camille, cross your legs. No one wants to see your kiki. (laughs) I don't know. I found that kind of sad. (laughs) Like, I kind of interpreted it as like. The mom has a problem, like either a drinking problem or is depressed or something like just very despondent. I I was kind of depressed by 
this this world, this community, this neighborhood that was created. Oh, yeah, but but the the little girl, like she's a savage. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love her. In, in a movie filled with demonic murders and sex, this child just shows up, owns the scene, and then leaves. She wasn't even talking, and she owned that scene because she just sits at the stairs, <laughs> legs open. The mom just turns around, Camille. Cross your legs. No one wants to see your kiki. I'm like, oh, shit, she's in the scene. She's back. <laughs> she's back. <laughs> and uh, my last uh, my last good was just a line of dialogue where Needy realizes, oh, I have to fight a demon. So she makes a sign of the cross and says, patron saint of lost causes, give me the power I need to crush this bitch. <laughs> so she has her one moment of resistance. She faces off with her. And then she le- and then Jen levitates and Chip's like, she can fly. No, she's just hovering. Don't make it more impressive than it is. It's not that impressive. <laughs> she's just done with trying to stroke Jen's ego. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's the end of my goods. And uh, now we can take it on with the bads. What's your first bad? Despite this movie um, being lauded as, you know, modern queer cult classic type of thing um i think it still falls victims victim to uh, a lot of tropes that um i could possibly blame studio interference on in terms of framing jennifer as like this sexy succubus who needs to be conquered because um, promiscuous women are demons um the idea of even though, you know, Needy is queer coded, um, she, you know, still has her boyfriend and has sex with him, but she still cares for him and everything. This idea of like not giving her a more overtly um, queer uh, persona, for lack of a better word, or like kind of a, a drive. Yeah, she's going to be bi. She could own it, but it seems like she's kind of like in denial of her of her attractive of her attraction to females. Yeah, yeah, which which is fine, and that can be part of her characterization. Um, but but I think I find a lot of the fault in Jennifer not getting any characterization. Um, the scene towards the end, um, after Needy stabs her in the heart, uh, where she says, "My tit, <laughs> no, your heart." Um, which I will say for that scene was was nice because. Um, Jennifer is like, oh no, my tit, like something that's like very external and like physical about her like beauty and stuff. And Needy's like, no, it was your heart, bitch, like type of thing like that. That was something there. (laughs) But um, it broke my heart when Jennifer's mother comes in and is cradling her dead daughter and like screaming and like that was gut wrenching. And like clearly there's a relationship that Jennifer has with her mother that we don't know about. Like, where is her mom in this story? For a film that's being boasted as being very feminist and stuff, we don't learn anything about Jennifer. We don't know who she is. Yeah, the feminism isn't about her. It's all about Needy. And, like, Jennifer basically stops being a character because Jennifer's dead. It's all the demon. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, this idea of being, like, revenge murder isn't really a thing, um... I don't know. Jennifer still has no agency um, at all throughout the film. And I, I actually find fault with that. And I, uh, 
<laughs> I know that I was the one to suggest this film for us to watch because I do know that it is um, a quote unquote queer film, but I do not believe it is a feminist film. I think that it still falls victim to tropes and uh, it, it does affect the way I, that I, I view it. And oh, yeah. It, it would have been nice to see what, what Diablo's pure vision would have been like if we got to see uh, mm -hmm. if we got to see uh, like say Jennifer uh, fighting the demon so that we get to see aspects of her personality because she doesn't have a personality even before she gets killed she's just yeah. a basically a club slut she just she just wants to get drunk maybe laid and that's it she doesn't have like any she likes she doesn't express uh liking music or uh, you know what her hopes are for college she she's just written to serve men or get plastered so she can serve men e mm. even like the excuse to like fend to go off with the band like why because jennifer likes to get drunk and put out and that's it that's as far as her writing goes and then the demon takes over and she's like just eliminates putting out with eating men alive. I guess it is appropriate to call the movie movie Jennifer's body because there is no Jennifer. It's just her body. Like before she's possessed by the demon and after she's possessed by the demon. It is just her body. We don't know who this girl is. Aptly and, named. Um, yeah, aptly aptly named. Um, also, it's uh, the name of the film is based off of uh, a song by Hole, the band. So. There's another fun fact for you, huh. which is actually they, they play that song at the end. Um, so. And I don't follow whole. No. Yeah. It's a, a Courtney Love's band. Oh, I, the, I, uh, that's the only part I know is that it's Courtney Love's yeah. band. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, that was a long winded bad, but I, I feel very strongly about no, that. No, I mean, like this is this is like. This is where we passionately discuss movies, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my next, my first bad is they immediately say like, oh, yeah, well, when you get in the news for stuff like what I did, you get more letters than Dr. Phil. I'm like, when did Dr. Phil get letters? Or, you know, remember when we even called him doctor or respected him? <laughs> when he, when he. I don't know, it felt more like it should have been a Dear Abby Dear Abby gets like letters in the yeah, paper, but that, and she, that's an American And she thing. doesn't claim to be a doctor. Thing. Yeah. So, you know, that's two pluses. Plus she's dead. So that's three <laughs> things that, you know, Phil McGraw could aspire to. Phil McGraw. <laughs> I forget that that's his last name. I'm sorry. I was like, don't you mean Tim McGraw? <laughs> I don't follow country music. I don't know. It's like nothing says like your psychiatrist is going to be filled with nothing but old folksy moon jug wisdom. When their last fucking name is McGraw. <laughs> Moonjug Wisdom. Oh my god, Moonjug Wisdom is going to be my Creedence Clearwater Revival band cover band. <laughs> you see, what, you, what you're doing here is that you're not communicating, so the horses are out of the barn, you dig? You dig? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we're out of tobacco. End time. <laughs> He was run out of his first job for having an inappropriate relationship with an 18-year-old, and he was 30. Ooh, yikes. And that was before Oprah. Man, like, that woman could have done some homework and spared us dealing with that dickhead. <laughs>
Wait, I is mean, Oprah responsible for Dr. Phil too? I thought it was Dr. Oz. Both. Oh, gross. She had dealings with them. They were pleasant, so she promoted the shit out of them without doing any homework based on the fact that, you know, Dr. Oz is a quack that sells snake oil. Yeah. And McGraw has a history of uh, bad views and uh, just abusing a psychiatrist privilege. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, e- even in Britney Spears, he was revealing that he had conversations with her regarding uh, her mental crisis, which, you know, if you shouldn't, you shouldn't be talking about that shit. Yeah. But he did because, you know, McGraw's all about his reputation rather than the needs of the client. Hmm. Fancy that. A guy with the TV show out for himself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's scum and so is Dr. Oz. And if you don't know why, just, you know, use the internet. You'll find out. Yeah. So what's your next bad? Um, I know that I, I, you know, praised Diablo Cody's writing of dialogue and stuff, but they're, you know, you we have our dated problematic language, you know, got the hard R in there. Um, yeah, when it was fun to make fun of mentally challenged people. Yeah, before Hillary Duff had her commercial saying, um, it's not cool to say that. Oh no, that was the uh, when you when you describe things as gay. Um, I don't know. Even like having oh, the, too, yeah. the one student like leaning down behind Needy saying, "You guys are so lesby gay." Like it felt gross, and like I was like, "Ew, don't be don't be homophobic." Like <laughs> I don't know. And and just Chris Pratt showing up on screen felt homophobic for some reason too. So. <laughs> We're not accusing him of homophobia, but he is part of a church that is, and he doesn't have a problem with it. So. Yeah. You know, by proxy, I mean, I mean, like if you tolerate someone's homophobia, then then that, that definitely means that you are not a gay friend. Yeah. Didn't Elliot Page call him out on that, too? Trying to get uh, him to, like, denounce his church and he wouldn't. This was a couple of years ago, but. I, I, I mean, I, I believe it. Yeah. Uh, my next bad is... We get to see, uh, I think they're passing by a theater or something, or, uh, no, it's the school play. Uh, the posters for the school play, we see Baby Jane the Musical. (laughs) And I wish we got to see Baby Jane the Musical. Yes. I mean, maybe Heather would have liked it, because she hated the actual movie. (laughs) Shout out to you, Heather, love you. Baby Jane the Musical, that would have been fucking great. Oh my god. Uh, so what's your next bad? Um, I wish that we got more of the world that they lived in. Um, I didn't get a sense of um, this town being either like a heightened fantasy version of a small Minnesota town or what. Like they, they have got this demonic whirlpool you know, the devil's kettle. Um, and then you've got, you know, the this, pirate teacher, the, the pirate teacher. You've got um, needy showing up to, you know, the homecoming dance in this ugly 80s dress, but everyone else is dressed normally. Like, is it established that like she would wear something like that? She dresses pretty normally. Like she wears her dorky glasses, but that's about it. Like, I don't know. There was like a lot of disconnect with like, 
Well, she needs the glasses so you don't realize she's even hot that she's I actually know, hotter than right. Megan Fox. Classic disguise. Yeah, put a put a cute knitted beanie on her and hide her eyes. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Put her yeah, put her hair up. Maybe make her wear brown clothes like a <laughs> like a jacket or a wool cap and then yeah, all of a sudden yeah, she's homely like never mind her beautiful symmetrical face, her cheekbones. Yeah. Ne- never mind never mind like her piercing blue eyes. Never mind any of that. Like, oh, she's got her hair up. Let's look at this skinny rake with black hair and be like, "Yep, she's the hot one." Right. <laughs> um, but I felt like the the vibe was kind of going for Heather's where it's uh definitely feels heightened. Um I don't know if you're familiar with with, with Heather's. Um, I know the name, but I never saw the movie. So it starts with Winona Ryder and Christian Slater, and it's an 80s teen movie, but it's a dark comedy um, where you have these teens that are going on a suicide rampage um, where it, it makes them cooler, but they don't actually commit suicide. It's Christian Slater is killing them because he finds them obnoxious. Um, and it's a very like tongue in cheek, dark comedy where it, it creates this world of like rich entitled kids um, and like the school blows up and like all this stuff. But it's like, son of a bitch. Oh, you got to watch this movie. It's should this movie famous. be on the podcast? I don't know if it's considered a horror. It's it's not a horror, but I mean, it's definitely worth the watch for sure. But it definitely it has like this very heightened world created, whereas in contrast, you have kind of like this middle America in Jennifer's uh, body, kind of like small Midwest town with like a couple quirky things like and the fucking bar exploding. You're almost describing Napoleon Dynamite. I know. Right. But like that had a tone where it was weird music and um you weren't really sure what year it was because everyone dressed like it was the 80s but like they had computers in their home and like i don't know it was like it it felt very contrived and not fully um fleshed out and i wanted a better world created to have it hold this message that it's trying to make about young girls and women um and i felt like it just didn't do that at all it was all over the place and kind of sloppy and i i didn't buy any of it i didn't buy into it yeah and like how this how like low shoulder seems to be staying in this town for several months and they just become like this local celebrities because they made a song and a girl died yeah and they're from the big city um they don't mention what big city they're from and then the, yeah the song becomes the anthem like stuff like that where fun little parts that could have like really shined i get that because when uh (laughs) you know i graduated high school in 1999 and every like every graduation thing had green days hope you had the time of your life (laughs) so i'm just like yeah i remember when like uh when 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 a boy when a boys in makeup band just put out one song that everyone's just like i get this this is me right (laughs) they're singing about me that's okay. I, I graduated to a to a John Mayer song, so. Oh, which one? Um, oh God, it's from his Room for Squares album, the the Real World song. Is that the Body Is a Wonderland one? No. <laughs> Can you imagine graduating to Body Is a Wonderland? Holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, no, not that one. The other one. But yeah, 
So I don't know. I didn't buy the world that they that they were put into, and I thought that it could have been fleshed out more and either lean into the weirdness and like cartoonishness and caricatureness of it all, but they didn't. More so. bizarre char- more bizarre maimed characters like a lunch lady with an eye patch. No, like having one, you know, J.K. Simmons is, is fine, but like everyone else seems so normal in in contrast. And like again, it ju- it just didn't. None of it was cohesive. It felt like he was trying to do too much and it didn't do enough. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Like, did she just have a chaotic vision or was did she just have like a more singular mainstream villain, uh, mainstream one? And the studio is just like, we need you to focus on this, this and this. And everything else was kind of like after effect. Yeah. And then I think of like other Diablo Cody movies, like most famously Juno, for which she won her Oscar for her writing, like. It's um, it's a film that's focused on characters and people and the world that they live in isn't really um, a thing. They're not dealing with really any external factors. They're not really impacted by their environment. Um, whereas um, Jennifer's body, like the idea of like this town having like this, this, you know, weird waterfall and whirlpool and there's like demonic possession, like there's something bigger going on. Whereas Juno, it's like interpersonal things. And then there's a movie, uh, Young Adult, which I also have problems with, um, where it's all based on this kind of small town mentality, but focused on the people and the people's conflict with each other. Um, those are films, I think, that the, the writing is a little bit tighter. Um, but when she tries to kind of expand her world out, um and kind of make a whole overarching message is it, it falls short for me so mm. but that was that again very long-winded sorry i have oh, <laughs> i have thoughts well, I, I i uh I, as i was reading up on this movie i did see that uh she uh she she remarked in uh recent years that you know, because of like the whole Georgia abortion ban thing that they were trying to pass and the whole Texas thing happening now, mm. that she uh, that she would not have written Juno now if she uh, if she had to. Mm. Or at least probably wouldn't have come out the same. Here's the thing, though, in defense of her writing Juno, Juno decided to keep the baby like She was definitely scared. Like she had considered abortion. She was at an abortion clinic, but she was scared and she made the decision to, to keep it. Like again, she was given agency, but I hadn't seen the movie, so I can't speak about the character, but if she was scared, if she was scared at the abortion clinic, maybe, maybe because like abortion clinics are getting, you know, misrepresented, she probably wouldn't have like, changed like what would have uh made her scared like whether she was given bad imagery or she was given bad imagery incidentally the actress who plays um the student who says lesbi gay to needy is the same actress who is outside um playing kind of an asian stereotype character with a picket sign saying that babies have fingernails um and that's what scares juno um so again diablo cody's writing again very dated kind of problematic um, leaning did, on stereotypes. She did take it back. I mean, at least she said like Juno wouldn't have uh, been written the same way. Yeah, yeah, that that's fair. But so you know, she's she's something she's she's shown that she's capable of growing and changing her perspective, which is good. And I'm not saying we should cancel Diablo Cody, but <laughs> <laughs> by any means. 
So my next bad is uh, when uh, when Megan gets stabbed in the pool, and she goes, "Ugh," and she looks at her gaping wound. You got a tampon? No, <laughs> really? You look like you might be plugging. <laughs> and I was just like, "Was this the female version of you, Jellen?" <laughs> if we're going for dated references, remember when? Hey, dude, you Jellen? This had to be like the female version. Is that like the, the Dr. Scholl's thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm Jellin. I'm Jellin like Magellan. So I still say you. I'm Jellin like Magellan. And I don't know why I say it, but that's why I say it, I guess. It was like put into my brain when I was a child. <laughs> Jellin like Magellan. I mean, that's got to. I mean, like I could just imagine Diablo Cody writing a, a commercial for Kotex where she's just like, Psst, what? You plugging? I'm plugging. Well, come on. And then she like hands her a, a stick and then she goes to the bathroom. I, when when she just drops that line, like it's a funny line and it's written for the laugh, but it completely undermines what's happening in that scenario. Like Needy just stabbed her best friend. And yeah, like, we're, the boyfriend's dying. We should be yeah. thinking of, we should be focusing on his, you know, this death of a character who has been by all metrics a good character. He's he's been supportive. He's been kind. Like even when he calls Needy out on her being self-involved, he doesn't know the full picture. But his reasons, from his perspective, are valid. He's not a dick. And even when he's tempted by Jen, like he gets tempted for a minute, but then he's just like, no. I mean, like even if we're like working something out, we got to work it out first. Like I'm 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 I we need to I need to work things out with her before I move on. He's a good guy. Yeah. And immediately as, as he's grievously wounded, we start getting like tampon jokes. I'm like, you, you know, sit with this for a minute. Like, yeah. we're witnessing the death of a likable good man. Even if he's not a perfect character, like he made a mistake, but, you know, he did dial it. He did walk it back at the end and even tried to help her fight off the demon. Like, he's a good dude. Yeah. And, like, and and we're just overlining this for a tampon joke. Like, make it later when they're having a struggle or something. Right? Yeah. It, I don't know. It's just like that kind of undercutting. Like, the thing that Marvel movies do that, too. They don't want to, like, linger on something sad for too long. They got to make a joke. Got to make it funny. Um, I went for the head. What? Uh, we're just went like, what? just like Thor when he killed Thanos. Like, I went for the head. Oh, see, I didn't even fit. I got so tired with Marvel movies, I didn't even finish it out. Oh, well, spoiler alert, he went for the head. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> but yeah, just, uh, that kind of undercutting of, of a serious moment. It's such a pet peeve of mine. It's like, don't be a coward, writers. Yeah, it, like we've had like disposable characters getting killed throughout this movie, like uh, uh, like Ahmed. Like He doesn't even show up or talk. They're just like, hey... Like, can you talk to me for a minute? And he's like, well, yeah. Or like the guy by the tree or the guy in like the, I mean, like, fuck. I mean, I, I should have put this down as a bad when the, that nerd, when that, like, uh, that Green Day guy goes to the neighborhood where all the houses are just empty. Mm. I would have been like, this neighborhood is dead. Like, there are no cars. There's nobody in the homes. Like, entire sidewalks are fenced off. I'm just going to pull like a. A, f a fuck no, and just head home. I'm just gonna go put my black makeup on my fingernails and just call it a night. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta fix my guy liner and, and go home. 
But uh, yeah, I got one more bad. How about you? Um, so actually, that that kind of did tie into my my bad. So I was confused when um, oh god, what, what's the emo kid's name? Uh, fuck, was it Colin? Dirt? Colin, Colin? Right. did you say dirt? No, Dirk. Oh, I, just, Dirk. I was just looking through the uh, the cast list. <laughs> the, the emo kid, Dirt. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that that would have been like if this movie was in the eighties. I was gonna say, yeah, that that's probably more the grunge kid in the in the eighties nineties movie. But uh, yeah, um, uh, I, Colin's yeah, I, character, like he was so effeminate. I was just like, was he like the sassy gay friend? But oh, so you know that wasn't my issue. Um, him kind of his character type seemed like the type of character that would kind of write off jennifer like oh she's just a popular teenager uh it's even said like he only hangs out with the dead girls like why why is he um you know obsessed with jennifer but maybe it can be said now that she's a succubus she has this power over men she like draws them in type of thing and i was like oh maybe it's because she's like all emaciated and looking emo and gross like that's he's suddenly attracted to her but yeah she's got that carb sprite look yeah, so, but again, it, it wasn't really established, like, that she's, like, drawing in men more than she already was. Like, it's established that she's hot. Um, we're not getting, like, a like a whole thing where, uh, from the faculty, where you've got Famke Jensen, uh, or I think that's her name, uh, where she's, like, the mousy teacher and then turns hot when she's possessed by the alien. Like It's like, come on, she's always fucking stunning. I, well, right, fair. That's another example. You put glasses on a beautiful person and they're the ugly nerd. But um, it's it's never really established that suddenly she has more sexual power and more draw. Like, so kind of Colin tuning into her um, when he definitely is like the kind of guy that's like, oh, I'm not going to deal with cheerleaders. Like, that's not my type. I hang out with the dead girls. Like, eh. I think. I mean, at best, it would be like he just completely ruled her out because she like someone like that would never have anything to do with him in the first place. So he doesn't make the effort. But as soon as she looks at him and says, hey, do you want to talk later? Then he'd be like, wait a second. She's coming to me. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I mean, so like he didn't pursue her. It's just like, wait a second. The pussy's chasing me. (laughs) Am I supposed to run? Like. Oh no! I pulled a hamstring. You got me. <laughs> oh no! I tripped. Oh <laughs> no! That that's actually a fair perspective that I didn't think of it from that way. So that makes that makes sense. It's kind of like the person that like you, you, they're just so beyond your league. You just wouldn't even consider going after them. But the second they notice you, you're like you're, you're like looking behind yourself, like what, me <laughs> for, for real. So I guess I can kind of understand, like, yeah, we're going through this macabre neighborhood that looks like a fucking cemetery with housing. Yeah. And we're just going to bone there. So, uh, I mean, like, given his 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 style, like, I guess I could kind of see why he'd fall for that. Like, oh, yeah, we could have, like, a satanic ritual here and no one would know. Well, see, so here's another thing. I kind of interpreted that neighborhood as, like, being a newly developed neighborhood. Like, everything was under construction. But again, we don't get any idea of this neighborhood that they live in like oh it looks like there's suddenly growth coming into this neighborhood into you know devil's kettle but we don't we don't hear anything about it we don't know what this world is that they're living in we're not given that when this is something that needs to be given to us so again 
I guess my final kind of thought on this is, is this a queer film? Is this a film for, for, for like queer women? No, it's not. It, there's better feminist cinema out there. And I think that what this is telling us is that we need better queer representation in cinema. So that way we don't have to latch onto films like Jennifer's body. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's my hot take. Honestly, We could do better. We can do much better. Yeah. And my final bad is the fucking box cutter. Like if you're going to stab someone, don't use a knife that that's right? liter- that's literally designed with intent to break off yeah. in several small pieces. Get a kitchen knife. Yeah. You probably could have done more damage with a butter knife than a box cutter, honestly. I know it's like getting stabbed with the crystal unicorn in Black for- in Black Christmas. <laughs> like you this is this shit is designed to break apart. Yeah. Like we aren't blood balloons. We have bones I inside know, of yeah. us. <laughs> Also, ripping off a necklace takes away her hovering ability. I mean, I like the slow motion fall because you get to see her boobs jiggle a little bit, but I'm a basic boy. <laughs> oh I mean, I I own my immaturity. And, but the like, impetus... I'm a man who knows what he likes. <laughs> I'm a man that likes boobs. And we get to see them like move around as I she mean, falls. I'm a girl who likes boobs, but... So, like... But, like, the fact that, like, oh, her hovering is, like, necklace-based doesn't make sense the impetus for like this weird slow fall is just so questionable it could be argued like maybe she really like does love needy as like her best friend and her taking that away from her is like wait what we're not best friends but again it's like it doesn't really seem like jennifer likes needy that much like she she's always like calling her tampax or something like they're i don't know like no, yeah, she she just doesn't. Names. Yeah, Janidi doesn't call her names. Like, it just seems like she just like she's just hanging with Needy because Needy's the only one that tolerates her her shitty behavior. Yeah, and maybe that's something that's uh, that a lot of young gay girls latched onto this idea of kind of being attracted to someone who's a friend. And not getting that back and like that toxic relationship that can be built up. Um, I mean, I've had toxic relationships with friends, uh, with like female friends before, but like, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't really get, I didn't find that relatable at all. I'm like, wow, this is just kind of a shitty relationship. And it seems like they're just friends out of obligation of being friends in a small town. But like, yeah. I grew up in a small town and I, once you hit like middle school, you lose a group of friends. And once you hit high school, you lose an entire other group of friends. So I don't know if whatever. Yeah. Again, we don't know what type of small town this is. Like we don't like apparently like she was always a shitty friend and needy kind of like her. Her realization is like, wait a second. We're, we weren't even friends. Yeah. We just hung out with each other because, well, one was so intolerable that no one would no one would hang out with them. After, you know, the pump and dump. <laughs> and and the other one was just so damn shy she didn't know her own worth and that she could have been hanging out with much better people. Yep. Which, you know, that on its own is a tale as old as time. But again, we're not given too much to work with, which is really unfortunate. We need to give lesbians better movies because I'm sorry, but like the perfection and bit and Jennifer's body isn't going to cut it. I know the... I'm, how bad is it when the craft legacy is like the shining example of 
of female empowerment and like queer empowerment. My thought exactly. <laughs> like I'm like looking back at, at Pride Month here, and I know we're not even done with Pride Month. We've still got a couple movies to go, but I'm like, wow, Craft Legacy was probably top of the charts here this month. I really enjoyed that movie, and I <laughs> wish I could just watch it again instead of the rest of these. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, nice to know I got one thing right this month. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you get your token straight win for the month. <laughs> I, I get my one out of four ally card check. Yeah, there you go. Well, again, I was the one who suggested Jennifer's body, so I'll take the W on the, or the L on this. I don't know what the kids <laughs> say nowadays. Uh, so now we can take it to the what the fucks. I've got one. Why didn't Jennifer ever go after the band since they, you know, killed her? She clearly had access to some of Jennifer's memories and feelings. So you think the first rule of business would be going after the band that fucked up her sacrifice. Like, that would have been a story right there where she wants to get revenge, but she's also battling this demon inside of her that needs to feed. But she has no motivation. Yeah, going after the band and then, like, also eating some high school kids, so... Yeah. There's no, like, sympathy for her. Like, what the fuck does this demon want? Yeah, it it, it feels almost anti-woman, like, um, slut-shamey. Like, oh, if you're just, like, a man-eater, you get what you deserve. You don't deserve agency. You don't deserve a character. You are just reduced to your physical being and your sexual actions. And that's why I do not stand next to this as feminist cinema at all. (laughs) Oh, no. And like, no, like you can't talk about female empowerment. Empowerment would be using this demon to go after the guys that killed her. Her friend has to do that. Yeah. And again, it's like, is it is that the needy lesbian trope? The idea that, well, needy actually did love Jennifer. um, But like Chip seemed to kind of just fall by the wayside. Maybe that is because like. Chip was filling um, kind of a checkbox for living a straight life, having a boyfriend type of a thing, which, okay, I totally buy. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like Needy seemed to be the character who didn't even really get a lot of character development either. It's like she just kind of came into her own power, but we don't know anything about her. It wasn't even her power. She only got shit done after she was getting... After she got, like, Jennifer's powers. Yeah, she got bitten by a demon, so inherited some of her powers. So maybe maybe we've been focusing on the wrong thing. Maybe, like, the demon was the thing we should have been focusing on this whole time. The power of friendship was the message. I don't know. <laughs> I don't fucking maybe, know. Maybe the real demon was the friends we made along the way. I don't think this movie deserves the effort to try and find the hidden message. Only because... There are better films out there to dissect and take the time to, to look at. And well, is- that's that's what we do on the Graveyard Shift. We take the time to look at all these movies. Like people ask me, like, why don't you just do a podcast about like all movies? And I'm like, because when you focus on a genre, then you stop looking at like the most famous ones in. You just stop looking at all the famous movies. And when you dig in the genre deep enough, you start finding these hidden gems or, you know, you gain enough perspective, so when you when you watch like more popular movies, you can be like, eh, I'm seeing some things that you know other people don't. Yeah. So like I, I do it for the perspective. 
And Absolutely. we've seen it, we've seen enough horror movies, even this month, where we can take a movie that's supposedly like you know like a, a bigger cult classic and like female empowerment and be like, is it really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we get our final girl at the end, and the trope of like, oh, you got to stay a virgin or else you're gonna die. Um, you know, needy has sex, but kind of comes into her own power. But she doesn't. She like leaves it halfway because sex is terrifying for her because she's having horrible visions through Jennifer's eyes. Like, what is that connection that they have? Like, again, is this some like lesbian superpower that I didn't get? Like, was I was I too straight for too long? Like, what the hell is happening? Yeah, whatever. Again, poor, chi- poor Chip. He's He's doing his best, and then she just has to go ahead and have, like, this weird possession thing and not even tell him, like, oh, I'm sorry, well, you were inside me. I had this weird stroke thing, but it's, def- it's definitely not your fault, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try again later. Uh, I'm just glad that Chip, you know, found his freedom, and he his angel body escaped to Toronto, Canada, was able to join that band and uh, really <laughs> live his life. No longer even as young Neil, as just Neil. Like, good for him. (laughs) Uh, So, now we'll take it to the kill of the week. (laughs) And I gotta give it to Chip going out stabbing the bitch. It, It drove her off, and he went down protecting his lady. A good man, good death. I'm... I'm torn, so... So was Chip. Ooh... It would have been a fun callback. Um, initially, I would give it to Ahmed being crushed um, by the falling bar, which reminded me so much of that scene in the Golem where Ahmed was killed in the street after the. Bar. He dies off screen. She leads him off into the forest. We don't actually see him get yeah. killed. We just see the aftermath of her covered in blood, and she so jumps he, on Needy's so car. He, so he was in the bar as well. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I was too focused by chubby Chris Pratt. <laughs> And also following the flames. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought Needy was going to have like some weird superpower, like, you know, final destination, like stop the flames. And no, she just watches this flame spread all across the bar and just fuck all. You know, if they had, if this movie had taken inspiration from Carrie, um, like more power to it. But on, unfortunately, it didn't even have that going for it. But um, <laughs> that would have been my kill of the week because I love a good callback. But I might have to go to um, uh, Colin because it was so gross and grisly. Um, and like his body was all torn open. There were like rats and shit. Like it was nasty. And like just to have this emo <laughs> boy uh, meet his emo end was uh, very satisfying to watch. I mean, it was sad to watch, you know, that he had to die. But you know, you would have wanted it that way. It's it's, it's what he would have wanted. Eaten <laughs> Even- out by a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he was like screaming and begging not to do it, you know you would have wanted. You really wanted this, yeah. You're saying no, but you know that she. Oh, God. that would have been a line to be like. You know he wanted it. Look at him. He look at how he was dressed. Yeah, he wanted he was, it. He was asking for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take notes, Diablo Cody. How about I write your next movie? <laughs> Whatever. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I'm enough for the rating. I'm going to give this uh, three low shoulders out of five. Hmm. It's it's like a fun, entertaining, if dated film. It, it, it's got some speed bumps, but, you know, it's got horror and it's got comedy. I'm going to be giving this 
two guy liners out of five. It's closer <laughs> to a three than it is to a one, but yeah, it, uh, it was disappointing, especially watching it again in a, a refreshed lens. It just fell short for me, and I, I don't think that the hype is deserved, and I think that there are, I'm standing by the fact that there are better films out there um, that represent queer cinema, queer characters, um, and uh, I don't know. If you want to watch Megan Fox be funny in a role, watch her in New Girl. Like, she's actually kind of charming in New Girl. I know that's a television mm. show, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, e even Bill Fagerbakke as, like, the grieving father, I, I forget the lines he did, but they really stuck out to me. He's like, oh, my son, he was just so talented. He was like this. And I'm like, he's not even talking like a grieving father. Like, like comedy well, I mean, so makes sense, but not there. That That's another thing where it's like, okay, we have got the guy, in the, the kid in the letterman's jacket. He's an athlete. And we've had that trope before of, um, uh, you know, the father only loves his son because his son is going to be a successful athlete type of a thing. And like that could be chalked up to, you know, being that stereotype. But again, we don't have this established in this world that um, the sports teams are important or like we're, we're kind of leaning on existing tropes to create a very weak frame of, you know, what, what this town in this high school is going to be like. But we don't get that at all. So we just get, like, these little nuggets that are kind of callbacks to better movies. It's um, like we have a 30-year-old writing a teenage book, writing a story about teenagers. <laughs> right. And, yeah, she can write some really fun, witty dialogue. But at the end of the day, mm, no, I, I you, you got to do better, babes. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, the movie, I really thought this would have been a highlight considering it was like more famous and got more uh, coverage than uh, Craft Legacy. But, you know, so far, Craft Legacy was the uh, the highlight of the film. Yeah. And this is uh, the last week of June, but not the last week of Pride Month because we're going to keep it going. We keep Pride. We celebrate Pride all year round on the Graveyard <laughs> Shift. No, we're not going to be reviewing just gay horrors, but we just as a uh, an extra bonus, we will be following up with one more Pride Month episode in June because just so that we can say we keep it going, not just <laughs> one month or not just one month a year. We're not doing token shit on this podcast. We're legit. We're sincere. We're not going to change the Graveyard Shift logo from the rainbow tombstone to non-rainbow tombstone right after June. Come on. We're <laughs> not like corporations. Yeah, we're not virtue signaling corporations yeah. here at the Graveyard Shift. We're genuine. <laughs> so we'll be doing one more. And then we'll uh, get back to our... Uh, well, I, I want to say regular fare, but I don't want that to make it sound like, you know, gay movies aren't regular, but you all know what we mean. And if you don't, you probably aren't listening to Untethered from categories. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's your new this tagline. Welcome to the graveyard shift. We're untethered from categories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, so until next time, I'm Mike. I'm Liz. And thank you for joining us for Pride Month and more on The Graveyard Shift. The Graveyard Shift is a Strange Biscuits production. Visit our website at strangebiscuits.com slash graveyard shift to hear all of our previous episodes. 
subscribe to us, rate, and review us on CastBox, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. And don't forget to check out our Instagram at The Graveyard Shift Pod, as well as our Facebook at The Graveyard Shift Pod. Our Twitter is GS underscore Horror Pod. And if you wish to support the show financially, visit us at patreon.com slash graveyard. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show and get bonus content. The theme for The Graveyard Shift is As Brutal As It Ever Was by Technoaxe. Visit their website at technoaxe.com and their YouTube channel for more royalty-free music. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay spooky. Ha 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 